You're listening to God and Comics, the most popular ecumenical podcast about comic books and theology that you happen to be listening to right now. On today's show, we're going <laughs> retro as we talk about our popular culture's love of nostalgia and how that plays out in comics. Why do we love these trips down memory lane? What makes for a satisfying retro story? And have we all finally reached an age where no one actually gets any of the references we're making anymore? All this, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas, and I serve at Our Lady of Walsingham Catholic Cathedral in Houston, Texas. On the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. And also on the line is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So before we get too far into it, just a reminder, um, I threw this out there in our little short uh, that we did before Christmas, but I uh, haven't gotten uh, any response to this yet. So if there's anybody who's interested in, in helping us with figuring out how to do the show a little uh, easier, especially um, recording and how we can get three people in three different locations into a conversation that's easily recordable. Uh, would love to uh, love to have some feedback from you all on this because um, you know we don't know all the ins and outs of it and really don't have the time to uh, learn learn it all. Uh, but we would certainly love to be to be better at this and to make this uh, show a better experience for you all. So if you do have uh, some information or if you want to help out, uh, send an email to godincomics at gmail.com. That's godincomics at gmail.com. And we'll look forward to talking to you there. Okay, we're going to start with our recommendation. Father Matt, what, what do we got this week? Well, I figured since um, this episode's all about nostalgia, I would uh, recommend an oldie but a goodie. Th this this book goes uh, back to, I think, it came out in 1989. It's called Hawk World. The author Timothy Truman. Hawk World is, is a miniseries, and it's it's a reboot of the Hawkman and, and Hawkwoman uh, or Hawkgirl characters. If you, if, you, if you know anything about Hawkman, um, he, he's created by Gardner Fox. The original Silver Age Hawkman and Hawkgirl were police officers from the planet Thanagar. And they followed this bad guy to Earth. But uh, the planet Thanagar is this utopia overseen by uh, these benevolent winged police officers uh, that dress up like hawks. <laughs> um, this, this Hawk world is the, is the reboot. It's the, it's the post-Crisis on Infinite Earth reboot uh, of Hawkman. So in this, uh, Truman, he, he turns Fox's utopian Thanagar into... A dystopia, and I think you know that that's probably appropriate. I mean, you know, in the fifties or sixties, when the original Hawkman came out, you had a lot more trust in police officers and things like that. Well, 
he he sees a, a planet ruled by by a police officers as, as a dystopian one. Truman does, and so the whole book's about it, on, on Thanagar. There there's this aristocracy, this this like ruling class, and they live in these floating cities in the sky, and and beneath them in the slums are. You know the the or in the dregs as they call them are all the the lower class citizens uh, that they rule over. Carter Hall, the the main character in the book, he is a police officer, but he comes from a very wealthy and prestigious aristocratic family, um, and uh, and he in 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 the beginning of the book he's new to uh, the, the sort of military or the police force. And he's just kind of witnessing the, the slums and the way people live in the, in the underworld, the, 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 the places beneath them. Um, he also is a bit of a historian. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a learned guy who is, um, and, and pious, he's kind of, devoted to the, the the history and the traditions of his people and, and and part of that involves this this figure who's kind of like mixture between George Washington and Moses and even kind of a Christ type figure a Moran, who in the ancient history of, of Thanagar was their liberator so at one time uh, the Thanagarians, were under the authority of of a of the uh, of another alien species, and they were oppressed. and 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 Kamaran, uh, liberated them and, and led a revolution, which put the Thanagarians in charge of their own government and their own planet. Now this is generations and generations later, and the Thanagarians have become the the oppressors they they have spread all over the universe and, and and become sort of imperialistic their society has become extremely decadent so you have this very wealthy class and they don't produce anything anymore they 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 rule over all these other planets and peoples that they've sort of subjugated and in fact carter hall and and the aristocratic class they're all sort of on these pills and drugs and 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 things like that well he gets caught up carter hall does in in some political intrigue uh, that just breaks him as a person and sort of is very eye-opening to him he gets sent away in exile from his people his wings are taken from him and uh, and he's going through withdrawal in exile from these pills that 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 everybody's on, um, but he meets a, a priest in exile that kind of reconnects him with the truth of his people's heritage, and and so decade later he returns from exile undercover and he takes up with uh, a young policewoman Shiera. And, and together, they're sort of going to take on the corrupt establishment of, of Thanagar and, and root out this bad guy. It's a, it's a great book, and, and Truman's illustrations are, are magnificent. If you were to pick up this book, 
without context, you wouldn't realize that, you know, this was uh, Hawkman's origin story and that he was a member of the Justice League or anything like that. It, 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 it seems more like a sci-fi kind of epic. It actually, after the miniseries, does go into uh, an ongoing series that plugged the uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl characters into the into the DC universe. But this is where it begins. It's sort of the backstory, and it's it's a pretty powerful story with some really um, challenging social themes and stuff that it wrestles with. I, I definitely recommend it. It's uh, it's been out for a long time, so it's available. I got I got it from the library. Um, you could probably pick it up at your local comic store. It might even be on uh, D- the DC Universe app. I haven't, I haven't looked. Anyway, Hawkworld is my recommendation. Yeah, that's a very different take on uh, on Hawkman because um, I'm more familiar with the one from the 1960s that Gardner Fox did. It sounds a little bit like a um, Blade Runner Judge Dredd kind of take on Hawkman. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it is in a lot of ways. It, it has a lot in common with both of those books. Sounds cool. At, at what point do we get the storyline where they're being reincarnated over and over again? Sometime later, I think. I, there's been so many. Retro, you know, the the continuity of uh, uh, and and. Of Hawkman has been rebooted so many times, and it's kind of suffered for a lot of the DC reboots. Um, do you know? Would you be able to precisely pinpoint that? Not precisely. That's what I was going to say <laughs> earlier, though. That the one other sort of beyond the normal first origin story, the reincarnation bit was the one that that came to my mind as an origin story. I wonder if some of that stuff was linked with the New Fifty Two. It's hard yeah. to. It's always hard to say because there's um, there's even some reboot stuff that takes place in that post-crisis world. Little mm-hmm. subtle shifts that happen, so it might even be in there. Well, I know I, I read re- the recent Hawkman, uh, the most recent Hawkman book. I was buying that for, for quite a while. And that deals with all his past lives and stuff. And Carter Hall from Hawkworld... Um, his Thanagar personality is one of the many past lives that he's had that he and Hawkgirl have have both had. Um, so they've they've kind of incorporated the the Hawk world continuity, you know, in some ways into a larger story with Hawkman. But hey, I, I'm just kind of getting into the character. <laughs> and it's 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 hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah, it's, got, it, it gets rather convoluted. I've got a very confused sort of because I I had uh, uh, not the Super Friends but the Powers um, cartoon super when I was powers. A, yeah Super Powers cartoon when I was a kid was my first exposure to Hawkman. So I used to have a little Hawkman action figure and stuff, but, <laughs> I um, know but I didn't know anything really else about him. I've never really read the comic, uh, so the rest of my frame of reference is the justice league cartoon in the 2000s and and dc um legends of tomorrow show um and the one has the sort of thanagar is uh you know is is a dangerous place uh narrative and the other one has the like reincarnation narrative so yeah yeah Uh, they've they've tried to merge them 
I, you know, I like the the space cop kind of Hawk. I, and I, 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 I enjoy reading the Silver Age Hawkman. Read some of those, who, which actually are on DC Universe. You can read some of those old Hawkman stories there, which are kind of fun. Well, we're going to move into our main conversation uh, and talk a little bit about retro stories. Um, a story that is... Uh, written in one time period, but is set in another, and particularly set set in such a way that it's meant to kind of evoke the sense of that time period, uh, often in a nostalgic sort of way. This wouldn't necessarily be uh, just any sort of historic account, although it could be, I suppose. You know, we have nostalgia for th- for times that are hundreds of years ago sometimes but it's more that this idea of like you know we're going to do a story now that's not really about now and so um there's a lot i think in in public um in popular culture today that's really focused on nostalgia like that's become a big thing um not that it wasn't always a big thing there's always been nostalgia for for one age or another but i feel like that's it's become like a major thing in our popular culture today and we see it with the sort of rebooting of of old properties over and over again hardly anything from uh from our childhoods that hasn't at this point (laughs) been rebooted um Except Quantum Leap, which is the one thing I want them to reboot. But anyway. Um, they didn't? I thought they did, actually. Did they? I, if they did, I'm I missed it. I'm almost positive they did, hmm. or they are going to. Hmm. Well, anyway. Um, Google it. Google it. <laughs> Google it. If only there were a way to know. But uh, but also, like, uh, you know, something like Stranger Things, for instance, which yeah. has this really strong, like, 80s nostalgia vibe that, that's a piece of it. Um, and that is enjoyed by people who weren't even around in the 80s, you know. Um, but so I'm, I'm guess uh, I want to start with you, Father Matt, and I'm going to ask you, wh- what is our current love of nostalgia about and where do you think it comes from? You know, let's start off by looking at the meaning of the word nostalgia. <laughs> now, I, I, I actually, I, I heard somewhere, <laughs> I, I heard somewhere that it, it it's it's from the Greek, which 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 literally means um, the memory of the of pain from an old wound. It's like this ache that you feel that connects you to the past, and I think that's I I think that's part of it. I mean, part of it is just our continual need, I think, to to relive our um, our past. So, I mean, a lot of nostalgia comes in the form of like what you've been saying, stuff from our childhood, being like, "Hey, let's make a GI Joe movie, let's do the Transformers," you know, or like, um, you know, now that I'm a parent. It's funny because I get to relive all my favorite childhood cartoons and stuff through my kids. And they, 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 the people who make cartoons are, are about my age. So they're all doing like there's a new DuckTales cartoon. They brought back She-Ra and, and there's, there's He-Man is in, is in production. Let, you know? me, let me be uh, clear about two things. Uh, new She-Ra is absolutely fantastic. It is. It is. It's New really Duck good. Tales is terrible. 
Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I think DuckTales was kind of great. fun. <laughs> At least I only saw I only saw the first season, so. <laughs> but um, but it only went I mean, downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> but you you get to you uh, part of it is just reconnecting with with your childhood, and and uh, we're seeing this a lot in, in DC now. Like DC has the rights to all these Hanna Barbera characters, um, so. Um, I know I, I couldn't resist picking up future quests, you know, with all the old Hannah Barra characters because I was like, oh, because you, you had that, that ache, that, 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 that nostalgia from those shows that, that you watch as a kid. Now, you know, um, I watched them in syndication, <laughs> um, a lot of those, because a lot of these go back to the 60s and the 70s and stuff like that. But... Um, but there's that nostalgia factor. Um, so there's that. I think it's reliving our childhood or um, even just like, you know, all of a sudden there's like this nostalgia for like the clone saga and Spider-Man, which I, I thought was like the beginning of the end for for the Spider-Man books for a while. It just, it you know, but now all of a sudden we look back on it and it's like, hey, Remember the Clone Saga? You know, it, it's it's kind of reliving a part of your, you know, past experience. Um, and maybe part of that is just sort of like a lack of originality. You know, we, we, we just dig up the past and relive it. Um, but then there's another element, too, which is, you know, one a, a very popular show with with millennials and, and Gen X people right now is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel or, or like just a, a, a while ago, Mad Men, both of them are set in the early sixties. You know, I, I was born in the early eighties. I didn't even live in the sixties. And yet, you know, we watched a show and we feel like a nostalgia for a time that we weren't even alive in. Um, and I, I think maybe part of it is just um, it's exotic, it's it's or, or it's a longing to get back to a simpler time, or um, you know a, uh, a, a, a you know a, a time before the complexities of of, of our current time, or, or or whatever, or a way of re-examining the past in light of of the future. Um, I think that that's probably part of it as well. Um, or but, de just you know dealing with uh, uh, the 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 pain <laughs> and the disorder of the era that we live in. I think that that can have something to do with it too. You know, um, and uh, you see some of that kind of nostalgia, like you were talking about nostalgia for things that we didn't live through. I you know I see some of that I think in the church sometimes too. You know, uh -huh. with uh, people who are our age or younger, um, who uh, are become uh, very traditional and want to like super embrace stuff uh, from uh, from the past, um, and so you'll get people who get really into, um, for instance, like in my context, who get really into the the older Latin mass. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not, by the way, I'm not criticizing this at all. 
Um, you know, I think you know that there may be lots of good reasons for uh, deciding you really like the older Latin Mass, but it's interesting that for some of these folks, there's a nostalgia that's there, even though it's a nostalgia for something that was long before they were born, and that it never really looked exactly like. You know, like we we think of the Latin Mass, and we think of this like you know beautiful, huge production with lots of music and vestments and all this sort of stuff. Like most parish churches, it was low mass, and it was like one priest uh, and you know mumbling the canon to himself. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think you know in the Anglican context, maybe that's I don't know what that is. Maybe it's the twenty eight prayer book. I'm not sure. Twenty eight prayer book, yeah. But uh, but but there's but there's just some kind of like I think you know we see that sometimes with with po- in our popular culture too, where like it kind of flattens out an earlier time period um, and shows us some of the qualities of it that maybe are are either good or worthwhile or interesting, or at the very least are juxtaposed to our current era um, without necessarily getting heavy. So like something like, you know, like you mentioned, Father, you mentioned uh, The Marvelous Ms. Maisel, which I think is a great show and there's a lot to recommend it. Um, Uh But it does present this kind of version of the early 60s that's surprisingly uncomplicated for a time period that was very complicated, right? Like, you know, there seemed to be no racial problems or other races <laughs> on that show, for instance. Yeah, we, you know what? Our brains have this way of filtering out a lot of the things that are bad and of holding on to the things that are good and the things that we, we sort of embrace as good um, as time goes on, they tend to get a rosier glow to them. And we do this thing where we do bounce them off of what we're currently experiencing. I mean, I think it's probably true of, of every single human being that in some way we're all escapists. We don't want to face our own current difficulties and the struggles we have in our lives. So we look for some sort of escape. It just so happens that I think right now in our cultural context, it tends to be um, rather than like let's say in the 1950s, the escapist uh, picture was always let's go to the moon, let's do space mm-hmm. travel, right? Mm-hmm. For us, it's a little bit more of let's let's go backwards because um, we remember a fonder time then because our brains are painting that golden glow. Mine does it all the time. I'm like mm-hmm. hyper guilty of this in in the church, and um, you know I remember. Uh, Growing up with the 1928 prayer book, I still look fondly on that and miss the, you know, more simplistic times. It Man, seems. you are old, Father Kyle. Good grief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for that. I'm making myself but, feel better about myself, that's all. Yeah, it's only four <laughs> years difference. Hey. But, no, I mean, I think we do 79 prayer to... book came out before I was born. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> we do tend to do that so mm. i i think that you know it's it's in a way of escaping and some measure of it's it's okay it's um the problem i think is when we when we become so locked in nostalgia that we can't live for today and that can be a real problem for some people right so stuck in the past that they just can't function today mm-hmm. yeah i, I mean i 
where where I am, you know, I'm in a parish that there was definitely a golden age. You know, there there was a time, and it was the 1960s and 50s. <laughs> you know, um, and 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 the the, it, the pictures are all over, like in, you know, all, all these great black and white pictures of the church packed door to door with worshipers and you know the amazing men and boys choir and and you know all the thing and so you know today you uh, i can't help but pass by those pictures and feel a little pang like boy i wish we had a bit of that today mm -hmm. right um but i think a lot of our nostalgia also is just the 20th century was such a revolutionary time. So many things happened. Uh, we had explosions in technology, explosions in, in, in cultural and in, in popular culture and the arts. Um, you know, big changes in, in race relations and, and, and uh, uh, the relationships between men and women. Uh, Big, big challenges, you know, changes happening with with uh, sexuality, the sexual revolution um, that our nostalgia are, are, and, and our, a lot of it is going back just over the 20th century and reliving these iconic decades, you know, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, you know, um, and and just kind of as a culture trying to process everything that's happened, uh, everything that we've been through and constantly re-examining it. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's part of it. And as far as comic books are concerned, comic books were born in this period of, you know, huge social change. Um, and so the history of comic books is a history of the 20th century in a lot of ways, at least the latter half of the 20th century. Um, and everything that we've been through as, as a culture, in American culture in particular. Um, the uh, early comic books, I mean, the dominant genre, of course, uh, quickly becomes superheroes. But if you think about like the earliest comic books, the big what was the big genre? It was westerns, right? Uh -huh. Which is also like um, a kind of nostalgia-based. Uh, Absolutely. You know, right? Like it's like the simpler time where we, uh, you know, the men were men and the women were women or whatever, and we we all you know gathered around the corral and figured out. I mean, I'm I'm oversimplifying it because of course, like I think westerns are are perfectly legitimate genre and you can explore a lot of stuff in it. But I think there is this element of, wouldn't it be easier to live in a different sort of era? Um, and I imagine, you know, I haven't done a comprehensive look at these old Western comic books, but I imagine very few of them were about obsessively discussing deaths from cholera, right? Like, <laughs> right. they were probably yeah. shootouts yeah. and, you know, <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. Well, and that's the, that's the thing. I, I think today a lot of our nostalgia is a way of of uh, deconstructing the past. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Going back to the, 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 the and, and, you know, having a Western, but, you know, but not like those, you know, simple Westerns that they used to do in the 50s. One with lots of cursing and extreme violence, <laughs> you know, like Deadwood, you know, right. um, on, on HBO. And, and, and so, you know, I think of comic books like that. You know, Watchmen is, 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 is a big example. Like, let's retell the history of superheroes, but uncover the dark underbelly. Yeah, it's almost um, an anti-nostalgia in Watchmen. Yeah, well, I, well and, and a, lot of, a, lot of it, a lot of it is. It's sort of like, let's look at the 20th century and unmask, you know, the corruption that was beneath, of it, beneath it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, we, you know, when, I, when we started thinking about this topic, one of the books that I I started thinking about, and I think it's sort of an underrated title. Have you guys read the the book The Golden Age, the JSA one? Yeah, well, it's 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 um, it's written by James Robinson. The JSA yes, are, read that. Are, are 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 in it. They, they are, of course they're made, all those characters play a major part, but it's sort of all the golden age characters mm-hmm. um and it's, it's it's a bit of an elseworld story meaning it's like outside of continuity but it's it's all the golden age characters from dc their lives after you know in the post-war period so so world war ii happens and all the all these superhero characters um they're prevented from from serving for the most part, in the war. Because they had to come up with some reason. Well, you know, the war would have been over in an afternoon if the Green Lantern could just swoop in there, right? Um, but the Germans had some sort of secret weapon that depri- that, that was able to neutralize uh, the, the superheroes' powers. And so most of the characters just sort of fade into obscurity as the war takes over. And they're all kind of retired. They've quit uh, being superheroes. They've, they've, uh, they've, you know, uh, a, a Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell, who were married, they're divorced. And 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 the the Green Lantern is sort of stepped back from his role, and and he's like, uh, and he's been blacklisted because it's, it's the era of McCarthy and the Red Scare. <laughs> And, um, is this and, the old and, the old Green Lantern, like the one yeah, with the cape? Yeah, okay. Alan Scott. Yeah. Alan Scott. Yeah. So it's all those Golden Age characters, um, and there's one character in particular who's Mister America. He was sort of a real C list character, but he ends up being the only superhero to really go over in in World War Two, and he becomes like a like a huge war hero. Um, and so this kind of C-list character becomes the, the, the biggest war hero. And he's, uh, after the war, he returns a hero and he becomes like a senator. And he's trying to revive the, the era of, 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 of superheroes. But, you know, there's something fishy there, of course, you know, that brings all the characters together around the new threat. I like that book a lot. I mean, one because the artwork—the artwork is so great. Uh, the and, and it, it it has that real nostalgia look. Uh, the artist is Paul Smith, but one of the great things about it is the colorist, 
who just has this um it looks like an old pulp magazine or something richard ori um really does this beautiful painted colors in the in the in the book um but it has this nostalgia for the the the, the late 40s and the early 50s it's also a deconstruction of, of that era it's 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 a look at um mccarthyism and and, and things like that um it was america's uh, boom time but like underneath there was you know all sorts of dysfunction and things being papered over and things like that racism and and, and sexism and all that so it, it, it's a really interesting book that and it takes some of these characters that are almost forgotten like i had to go back and like look up like who the heck was johnny thunder again you know? oh, yeah. um, see you yeah yeah so um it takes all these discarded characters and kind of breathes life in them and gives them a, a more contemporary multi-dimensional morally complicated feel to them and that uh, sounds similar to um to the new frontier darwin cook's the new frontier right. Yeah. Is it similar yeah. in some ways? I, I, At least stylistically. Say, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say they were, they were, you know, an attempt to do something very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 Darwin Cook's definitely has a nostalgic feel. I mean, oh, it's absolutely that, going for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a beautiful book. Oh, like, yeah, just absolutely. the way it's, I mean, I, I like it as a story too, but like just the way it's drawn is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it makes yeah. you think of it makes you think of old billboards, like uh-huh. going down the highway and looking at these sort of old billboards. What makes for a good, satisfying retro story? Like when you you know, because we we've kind of talked about some of the pitfalls that they can fall into, but you yeah. know when it's real good when it like really hits that spot. Like what is it that makes it really hit that spot? Yeah, for me, it's authenticity, um, the, a measure of authenticity. And I'm, I'm going to speak like purely from the comic book perspective on this. Um, there's been a lot of comic books recently that have tried to go back and capture something, especially from the 1980s. Uh, DC did the whole convergence thing where they um, had various worlds that they were trying to wrap up some stories or tell some stories uh from from old time periods on so there was like a um two issues on batman and the outsiders from the 1980s and uh the superman lois lane stories of the 1990s and one of the difficulties that i had with that whole run was the fact that they failed to pay attention to little things that could have lent an air of authenticity like the costumes would have the just enough of an element of the modern costume and not be the costume of the past that yeah. it just threw things off. Or um, recently they did a series called Symbiote Spider-Man that was um, filling in some of the gaps, if you will, um, from the black costume run on Spider-Man in yes. the 1980s. And the problem was Peter Parker had a cell phone. You know, this was supposed to be a story that was 1980s, and he's got a cell phone. It's just little things like that that, to me, can ruin a nostalgic story because it takes you out of that time. 
So for a story to really work well as a nostalgic story, I think it has to be authentic. It has to pay attention to the details and um, and get to get the details right. Well, that, you're, you're that so sucks right you about back that. In. You're so right. What's about, that? Well, you're so right about. I, I hadn't actually thought of it in that light until you were just saying that just now. But like, it really is like those little things are the things that get you excited when you're watching uh-huh. something like that, right? Like my um, my favorite kind of retro comic of of recent times is is paper girls have you guys read paper girls at all no but i've seen i, it. I remember you your recommendation and and yeah. that's been on my my uh my my list of books to check out for oh, a while yeah. but... I, I recommended it i think around the time when it had just started they, they it's finished now so that there's uh six volumes i think six yeah six volumes i had to look at my shelf uh <laughs> six <laughs> volumes um but it's uh it's brian k vaughn is the writer and cliff chang is the artist i really like cliff chang's art but yeah so paper girls um it started uh in the in with the 1980s now that book the book is there's a big sort of weird time travel element to the whole thing that ends up getting woven in and so we actually get some nostalgia for several different periods um which is sort of interesting um, at one point, they show up on New Year's Eve going into the year 2000. <laughs> and, and there's like all these fights and stuff. And they're like, oh, this Y2K thing is really crazy, you know. Um, but the the first, um, the first part of the story that's set with these girls who are delivering newspapers, I think it's 1988 or thereabout. Um, and so... Um, and a lot of the story is really actually about their friendship. But what's interesting is, and and what drew me into it was the verisimilitude of the of the time period. And I, I have to say, like I'm not, I don't tend to be a big '80s nostalgia guy because I was pretty young in the '80s, and I'm not fond of a lot of '80s pop culture. So like <laughs> like Stranger Things doesn't do much for me because I'm like, you know, okay. Like, there were good things in the 80s, but, like, there was also, like, a ton of garbage that came out of that decade. <laughs> but, uh, but like, in Paper Girls, it was, like, little, t- it was little things. It was really little things. Like, this guy at one point has a uh, Public Enemy t-shirt on. You know, like, it wasn't germane to the story. It was just there. And you, oh, wow, hey, look at that. Or, like, they they go into or around a house that has some um, drywall or something up and, and had this kind of bluish-gray kind of papering to it that was so specific. Like, it was like, this doesn't just look like some drywall. This looks like some drywall in the 1980s. You know what I mean? Like it was like yeah. very. It was like okay, that's not how it looks today. Um, yeah. And that was the sort of thing that made me go, ah, okay, I can live in this story for a little bit. Um, whereas, like what you were saying, like when you don't have that, or when they just kind of ignore, I think especially the thing you're you're saying about the costume. I mean, that's just sloppy. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's little things. It's like Batman in the 1980s had a yellow oval around his on his chest right mm-hmm. 
I mean, everybody knows that who read a Batman comic, and then they go and draw them without the yellow oval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just so small, but it makes the difference. It- you, you know what? Part of the problem is with comic books, and I thought about this when, when you were talking about the symbiote Spider-Man book, which, you know, I read too, and I was hoping to get like a real nostalgia feel out of that. And, 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 and you know, um, but it doesn't have that. Part of, part of the pro- problem is, is that Spider-Man today... He's supposed to be what, thirty? You know, yeah. Uh, he did. That didn't take place in the eighties. That took place like, you know, two thousand and ten. Yeah, which is the problem. You know, um, what, I mean, one one of the one of the best kind of nostalgia books that I that I could think of, and 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 we should probably mention it is is Marvels. Uh, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's wonderful book Marvels, and it's a retelling of the of of Marvel comics through the eyes of like an everyman kind of photographer and reporter, um, and he starts off following, taking pictures of the Marvels, these new superheroes in in World War Two. You know, with the original Human Torch. And I mean, and Alex Ross's artwork is just spectacular. And it transports you back in that time. You know, it's, it's, it has that, it, you know, it, you could smell what it must have smelled like in the hallway in 1930, you know. And, and feel the, 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 the telephone to your ear and all of that. I mean, he's just such a wonderful, evocative artist. Um, and it follows his characters from World War Two, and then the '60s and the X-Men, and you know, and it's you know lined up with the the civil rights movement and um, Galactus when he shows up in New York, and you get to experience what this event would have been like for the people down on the ground, and it's like it's just wonderful history. Not only of Marvel comics and all these classic stories, but of the 20th century through the lens of Marvel comics. Yeah. But when you think about it in like, you know, like a geeky kind of continuity way, there's like those events couldn't have happened in the 60s. And that's the problem with having these characters that have like we have to pretend that that Superman didn't come out of the 1940s, you know, and, and Batman, and, you know, that they're these new young characters. Um, yeah. When, when we, we know that they're low, I mean, like, um, so the, those stories are inseparable from the time in which they were written. It just, it, it, it sort of makes it kind of messy. And so, you know, that's why I, I kind of like these Elseworld books like The New Frontier or Golden Age, where we could just set aside all of that, set aside any concern with trying to, to make a believable continuity and just tell a story about those characters that's set in that era, you know? So I, I almost wish they would have told the symbiote Spider-Man or, or a story of Spider-Man in the black suit and just... Forget the continuity and just made it like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be fun? That I mean, would have worked I, you a know, lot better. That would really what I thought they were going for with it, yeah. which is what like completely threw, threw me off with it. But, yeah, you know, the thing is, 
when you read comics for a really long time, I and I've been reading comics for like forty four years, so um, you know, and I'm old, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The reality Sorry. is... I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> the reality is you're going to have a particular frame of time where you think comics were really good, and your brain's going to lock in on that time, and you're going to be nostalgic for that time. And for me, it is the 1980s. It's the, you know, that's when I w- was reading comics, um when I was a kid and, um, and I've come to love that particular time frame. And so I look at, you know, the two thousands and I don't have a big urge to go back and read a lot of things that I read then maybe some things here and there, but when they hold out these things that they say are going to, you know, be stories set in this particular time and you look fondly on it, you want it to feel like that again. And it's always such a big letdown when you don't get that feel. Um, I'll say one more thing that Kurt Busiek is probably one of the best writers to write nostalgic pieces Mm -hmm. that there is out there. And he's not drawing on past characters like Astro City did a a segment called the Dark Ages, which was Mm -hmm. set in the 1980s. Now, Astro City didn't exist in the 1980s, but he managed to write those books in such a way that it felt like a 1980s comic. And that's a guy who's like a master of knowing his comic history and sort of feeling the not only the look, but the vocabulary and the sort of pacing of the story and the style mm. of everything. And I thought he did a fantastic job. That made me nostalgic, right, reading those stories. He did it so well in Marvels, and then he just continued that. Mm-hmm. But with unfamiliar characters, which was even more of an achievement, like you were saying. I mean, a lot of it is because he's drawing on these comic book tropes. Sure. sure. You know, and a lot of the characters are analogs, you know, type for for the Fantastic Four or Superman or Wonder Woman or whatever. But he's he's really able to do that. I mean, just sort of change gears for a minute. I, I I can't get I can't get enough of that stuff. I, I love to to you know uh, stories about like the Silver Age and the Golden Age and, and things like that. But um, how much of it is just sort of looking back um, instead of trying to invent something new? We in, instead of instead of creating something wholly original. We're sort of living off the fumes of past creativity. Like the comic books have become too self-referential. I, I think I think that's where you know books like Paper Girls are are so interesting because it you know it isn't just kind of reaching into a particular character's past, but it's inventing a whole new set of characters in a whole new world but that is set in a place that can breed a certain amount of familiarity to uh, to us or for us. I think it's also interesting when they do that with with older properties, you know? Like, I love a lot of that stuff, and you guys have heard me recommend these things before, like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, but, you know, or, or Bill and Ted, they've done a lot of these Bill and Ted books, you know? Which are just, like, it's hilarious to... Um, 
to have nostalgia for the nineties. Well, Bill and Ted is from the eighties. Or the eighties, um, the, the late eighties, whatever. Um, but uh, but what they're doing is taking those properties and telling new stories. Yeah. Um, in some cases, updating right. So like the Nancy Drew Hardy Boy stuff. They took those characters and they just put them, they plopped them down into a modern context. Um, with uh, with the Bill and Ted, it's more like we're going to go back and we're going to kind of revisit them. I, I, so I, I think there's a creative approach there um, that's, yeah. that's a little different. And I also think, you know, I mean, like, think also about something like um, that we've, you know, also talked a lot about, but like Batman 66... Wonder Woman 77, like these are also like nostalgia making projects, right? Like they're, 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 they're working off of not so much the nostalgia of the time period they're talking about as they're working off of our nostalgia for when we watched those shows because they're telling new stories in those contexts. It's easy enough for us to accept them. And, and even for people who didn't necessarily, you know, I don't think you have to have been a reader or I don't think you have to have been a watcher of the old Batman show to enjoy a Batman 66 book. Once you realize what it is, like, oh, it's this campy thing, you can just kind of run with it. I think yeah. the danger with what you're talking about, Father Matt, is that the self-referential bit creates a closed loop where only a certain group of people can have really have access to a certain type of story because all of the nostalgia manufacturing takes over. You know, if you were to go to my church on Sunday morning, maybe this says a lot about me, um, but if you were to go into my church on Sunday morning, you would, and, and, and a lot of times when I have visitors, I get this, nostalgia. You know, they, they go back and they're like, wow, you guys still do it like they did it back in, you know, in my day. You know, it's, you know, none of this, you know, it's right one. We, we you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's very antique. <laughs> you know, um, it's nostalgic in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's legitimate theological reasons for, for preferring to do things in an older way. Um, but, but... I have to say, at least part of the appeal for me is is nostalgia and kind of maybe a little bit of idealizing the past, like looking back on the past as as a golden age, you know, when things were were better. The church was more orthodox. Worship was less tacky. Music was more glorious. <laughs> you know, all of that. Um, and it's funny because it's, it's not an era that I've lived through myself. Um, and, 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 and I think we could kind of do that as, as, a, as a church. Um, you know, I, I think at least part of it is an attempt to recover what was great and golden about the past for today um, and to preserve it i guess that's the positive aspect of it mm -hmm. yeah. the best mix of the 70s 80s 90s and today <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> in, 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 in seminary they called that resource mom you know yeah, yeah. going back to the church fathers and going back and recovering you know 
insights and, and, and you know and, and nuggets of wisdom and, and that that can be applicable today um, you know and, and and I think that's part of the 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 nostalgia project is kind of like 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 digging and uncovering treasures from the past like an, like an archaeological expedition but that's in that that is where it's not necessarily always a bad thing like i was saying before i think the problem is when we get locked into it in such a way that it paralyzes us from being able to live today mm-hmm. in any way then it's a problem but nostalgia in and of itself is i think there there's some value to it you know, it's funny, but I was accused when I did my discerning a call to ministry class, I was accused of being too nostalgic. Um, and they said that's going to present a problem to for you going forward. You look back too much. And it's a fair criticism. I think that I've got some family uh, genetics at work there with regard to doing that kind of thing. But there's also a side of it where certain things speak to your heart right? Um, Certain ways of doing things, you know, in terms of the liturgy and so forth, they speak to your heart in a way that, uh, that other things don't. And they may be the things that you were formed and shaped by. And that's how I find something like the 28 prayer book, having, you know, spent a good portion of my upbringing with that prayer book, that speaks to me. It's what I remember. My own preference right now for Biblical translations is the RSV, because that's the translation that I spent, you know, like at least 15 years of my life, if not more, with probably more like 20 years of my life with. And I hear the cadence of that language, and it speaks to me in a way like the NRSV doesn't, or the ESV, or whatever it is, don't. So, you know, that can all be nostalgic. But at the same time, it speaks to me in a really re- real way. So I think there's value to it. It, it uh, I get why it speaks to you. and uh, But, you know, at the same time, I think we have to be cognizant of why it is that these things have value to them. And there's a, I think in the church, there's an especial danger between preserving the continuity of what we've been given because it is good and true and right versus preserving it because it strikes a nostalgic chord, um, which may, you know, which may bring some people in like, you know, okay, it speaks to you because of your childhood experience, but at the same time it creates a barrier to other people. Right. Yeah. And so I always, so I always find that like, I have to have a good kind of apologetic for like why it is I'm insisting that we do things one way and not another, because I've got plenty of people at this point who are nostalgic for the 1970s worship and the felt banners and they're like that's what i grew up with and that's what speaks to my heart and like uh, you know i'm like okay well then you know we, we have to have we have to have something a little more substantive there to to, to plant it in but but yeah. l- let me yeah. let me suggest this um as a sort of theological axiom that we might use to think about a little bit of an oversimplification but i think there are two kind of prevalent views of history in our culture today um, that are equally problematic. 
One is a progressive view of history that suggests uh-huh. that everything has just been leading up to now, and uh-huh. now is just leading up to tomorrow, and it uh-huh. was all bad before, and uh, but it's been getting better because those people didn't have penicillin, and we do, and therefore we know far better than they do about anything and everything, right? Uh-huh. And, um, you know, and there's there's a way in which that can worm its way into our uh, storytelling as well. Right. Like there are a lot of stories now um, where, you know, it'll take place in the 1950s or it'll take place in the 1800s or whatever. And yet it's it's clearly uh, a very loosely veiled um, attempt to to speak the values of this current generation into a past that wouldn't know where to even begin thinking about that, uh-huh. those conversations, you know? Um, so <laughs> like there, there's that, there's that progressive view of history, but then there's also, uh, I think equally problematic is the golden age view of history, uh-huh. which is always trying to find a golden age. Right. And, and for different people that golden age is in different places. Um, but it assumes a history that's static, first of all, right? So, like, Frederica Matthews Green talked about this at one point. She said all these people who who have all this great nostalgia for the 1950s when everything was great and think it all went to heck in the 1960s. Well, where did all these kids from the 1960s come from? They didn't just hatch out of pods in the 1960s, right? They were all kids in the 1950s. So, clearly, we couldn't have been doing it all right if you think that it all went you know, down the drain in the next generation because it's the same people. Um, but also, like, you know, if you pick apart any era, I mean, even, you know, pick your favorite moment in, in church history uh, and there will be terrible things and there will be great things. Um, but, it, you know, it's never going to be like, there's here's the one static moment and if we could just get back right. to that moment will have no problems that's 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 a false view so what's the answer to these two false views i would propose that the answer is that jesus christ his incarnation crucifixion and resurrection is the end of history and i mean that in a in a teleological sense right that all of history culminates in jesus um everything before is pointing towards him everything after is pointing towards him and that part of the mystery of god's way of interacting with our world through this event is that it is mysteriously it is both historical and beyond time right it's historical there's a moment you know, we're as Christians, we, we, we connect everything to a specific moment, a specific time. You know, these are events that took place in a specific place. We mentioned Pontius Pilate in the Creed. You know, well, why? He wasn't a great guy. It's because it, it connects us with history. So there is, a, there is a moment in time when all of this happens. And yet, we believe in a God who is not limited by the confines of the creature that is time in the way that we are. And so Jesus' death on the cross can be the salvation of people 2,000 years after it happened, as well as the salvation of people 2,000 years before it happened. Because everything culminates in that one center 
in this in this incredible way. We would love to know about what you love in a good retro story. Please tell us what some of your favorite retro stories are, be they comics or, or other things. We didn't even really get into uh, some of the comic-related TV shows and movies. And, uh, you know, we've got that new Wonder Woman movie that's coming out that's going to be retro. Uh, yes. Peggy Carter, stuff like that. So anyhow, I'd love to hear what your favorites are. Catch up with us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter, at God in Comics, so you can find us there. Or, uh, if uh, you are incredibly old, uh, like Father Kyle, you can find us on Facebook, <laughs> facebook.com <laughs> slash God in Comics. If you know what Facebook is, you're younger than me. So, uh, but anyway, that brings us to our final segment, This or That. This or that, this or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. Boxes or briefs? This or that. DVD or... All right, Father Kyle. All right, we have a thoroughly retro this or that today. Ooh. Uh, let's go first with Father Matt. Inspector Gadget or the Muppet Babies? <laughs> oh, man. This does bring me back... You know, my absolute favorite show when I was a child was Muppet Babies. <laughs> it was my favorite. Every Saturday morning. And I, I had, a, I had a, a, a particular fondness for Gonzo, who was, who was I, I had a, Don, a Gonzo uh, stuffed toy that I slept with. And I used to get the library books from school, Gonzo, all the time. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Muppet Babies. Good choice. You know, there's another thing that's been resurrected in the yes. whole retro market, and it's nowhere near as good. Is as there a, there's a new Muppet Babies? Oh, yeah. Disney there's has a done new a new Muppet Babies. Oh, really? Yeah. I, haven't see, I haven't seen that yet. It's got a new yeah. character, and it's just, yeah, it's a not. A new character? Who would the new character be? Um, I don't even remember what the Hey, everybody, I'm, I'm Bob. I'm the new Muppet was. Baby. <laughs> it's a, it's a female character. A female right? like character, a, yeah. yeah. Why are you assuming that I'm not female? My name is Bob. <laughs> Sorry. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I might just Jonathan. do the whole rest of this uh, with this voice. Is that okay with you guys? It's a little weird. <laughs> a little creepy. It's a little creepy? Okay. <laughs> You should try that as a sermon voice. Yeah, right. Hey, everybody. I've got, I've got a homily I'd like to share with you today. Just some thoughts. All right. Some thoughts I have. <laughs> Your choice, Father Jonathan, with yes. the creepy voice. Goonies or The Burbs? I have not seen either of those films. So. What? Um, but are you serious? Uh, I've not seen either of those films, but I'm going to go with the burbs anyway. Uh, and here's why. Um, so Goonies is a movie that apparently means a lot to a lot of people. And so they get desperately offended when they find out that I have never seen this film. This includes my wife, by the way, who is always trying to convince me to watch this movie. And at this point, it's just, it's become a point of pride for me that I have I never see. seen it. I could see it very easily. There's a copy in the school library. I could take it home, be very easy to watch. I'm not going to do it. 
I don't care. I don't care if it's the best movie that's ever been made in the history of ever. I am not watching it. So, Tom Hanks, The Burbs. Father Matt, this one strikes a little nostalgic chord with me. Uh, Burger King's Onion Rings or the classic McDonald's French fries that were actually cooked in beef tallow the way they should have been? <laughs> um... I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really like French fries from McDonald's. Um, regardless of whether they were better in the past, I, um, they're pretty good today, too. Um, I like the salt, you know, just <laughs> lots of salt. Um, but right. those onion rings, I, I'm going to go with the French fries. I mean, onion rings are, are, are cool. You know what? what's nice about those old McDonald's French fries is if you ordered... Uh, an order of McDonald's French fries in 1989, and you still had them, they would look exactly the same. The old yeah. one? The modern one, <laughs> I'm yes. saying if you still had that same order that you made in 1989, and you've never touched those fries, you've just held yeah. on to them for 30 years, oh, exactly yeah, yeah. the well, same. Yeah, no, Nothing will grow on them. Well, Super Size Me showed that, right? right. But the yeah. French fries, I, well, I'll say this about McDonald's French fries. When you get them and they're fresh, they're delicious. If you leave them set there for 10 minutes, they suck. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. It's like all of a sudden, they're just not, it's like they dramatically drop in quality. And you can't, you can't reheat French fries. It no, 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 you never, you, you, you just, you lose its uh, vitality or something. Alanis Morissette or Fiona Apple. Enjoy the Alanis Morissette. Enjoy the Fiona Apple as well. I gotta, I gotta go with the Alanis. I gotta go with the Alanis. Here's the thing. I uh, and I have no shame about this whatsoever. I've seen Alanis in concert four times. Okay. Oh wow. She is a great performer. I'm not. She's not a great musician. She's not like you know gonna go down as one of the great musicians. But she like sure. she's a really good performer. Um, her songwriting is kind of hokey sometimes, <laughs> but it definitely, it's, especially on the nostalgia beat, it definitely evokes something. Like when you just hear like, you know, uh, just like one chord of you ought to know. And, you know, I'm an angsty teenager all over again. <laughs> and I'm here to remind you, right? Like, you know, just... <laughs> Just starts up. Fiona Apple. I, I, I love Fiona Apple. I have uh, a couple, you know, a couple of her albums from that era. Um, good stuff. Very dark. You feel you feel like sometimes, yes. like especially that second album, When the Pawn. Man, you feel like you're you're listening to that and you're like, I don't know if I should continue living. Like it just it just kind of sucks. <laughs> The, the the will to live like right out of you, you know. Father Matt, Tron or Dark Crystal? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Why couldn't I get uh, that one? Again, I you know I have an enduring love for Muppets. Um, that you know, Dark Crystal. Although it scared the living heck out of me <laughs> as a kid when I saw Dark Crystal. Um, I'm going to have to say Dark Crystal. I remember Tron was one of those movies when I was a kid. It was like, I, I saw it at the at the Earl's video, 
you know? And then... <laughs> girls video. And then, video. And I wanted... And, I, and it's like, oh, this movie looks good. And then... But, like... And then I finally saw it, and, it, and like, I found it kind of boring. <laughs> but, but The Dark Crystal... Yeah. I, um, that's another one. Didn't, didn't they just release, like, yeah, a Netflix Net- series yeah, about... Yeah, 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 yeah they yeah. did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she said it's really I beautiful. I haven't seen it. Is it good? I, she said it's really beautiful. Like the look of it is really beautiful. Um, I don't know if she watched the the whole thing or not. All right. Next one goes to Father Jonathan. This is Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Or Star Trek: Voyager. Oh, psh, that's easy. Deep Space Nine. No question. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, di- first of all, Deep Space Nine is a great series. I love Deep Space Nine, and it's um, I've been rewatching it recently. You know, I'm always rewatching some sort of Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, but I've been rewatching it recently, and really just blows my mind the way that they constructed. You know, especially when you think about the time period, there really weren't shows that did that whole enduring story arc. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's it's just old enough to be kind of pre DVD releases, and certainly it's older than uh, what we do now with streaming. But now to watch it as a streaming show is like a whole different experience. Because um, you actually get all the pieces together, yeah. What you had before, yeah. And and y- have you ever watched all of Deep Space Nine, Father Kyle? I have actually not watched any of it. You... I, the only Star Trek. I have ever watched is the original is, series. You've never seen Next Gen? No. Oh, interesting. You, so you would find Deep Space Nine really interesting, and here's why I yeah. think you would find it really interesting. It has a very dark view of human nature. <laughs> okay. It's it now. It's you mean still, a real view of human nature. It still has you know. It's it. There's still a hopefulness to it. So it's not like yeah. it's not like completely, but like in some yeah. ways like like next gen especially like it had this you know it would it would deal with dark topics but it would always like end on the like high note you know whereas deep space nine it was like you could almost see the the wheels moving in the writer's head sometimes where it'd be like if this was a next gen episode it would end in this happy way but this is deep space nine and everybody is terrible and so (laughs) you know um, but it makes it more interesting. It's also the first and only Star Trek to date, I think, that really has dealt with the topic of religion in an interesting way. Like, you have this whole, like, the race of the Bajorans and how their religion works into stuff. Um, so, very interesting. Whereas Star Trek Voyager is a straight-up hack uh, attempting to, you know, basically look like next-gen but not be... And okay. uh, now it's still canon, so I'll take I'll take Voyager over not Star Trek, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not great. I think you 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 set uh, Father Jonathan off. <laughs> I, you know you <laughs> you, listen, you like you I'm, hit the Star Trek button. It was just like listen. <laughs> I'm in the middle right now, like I, of a of a two book series on D- Deep Space Nine. Like continue, like I'm reading the novels now. You know, like I'm I'm deep into this. You're okay, fun, yeah. 
I'm <laughs> deep down. in. Next, I said next to level. I said to um, one of the students recently. I said something about being a big Star Trek fan. I was like, "Well, you're you're not a big Star Trek fan, are you?" And he he said to me, "I've never met." anybody who was a star trek fan before (laughs) i felt so bad like star trek fans are that rare yeah i'm like apparently in your neck of the woods (laughs) anyway and you guys need to watch i saw picard yeah Picard. did you yeah i was gonna ask you if you i haven't but Uh, well it wouldn't make any sense to you uh although i think actually you probably could just jump into it but um father matt did you see picard i really want to see it no, no, I don't have the CBS thing. I got it really just for Picard. I wasn't yeah, when it was just I'm Star Trek. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it was just Star Trek Discovery. I couldn't justify it to myself, but now that it's Picard as well, I'm like, okay, I have to. Watch yeah, it. yeah, no, I mean the the yeah, I mean the real draw was Picard, mm-hmm. and it was like this makes it a lot more attractive for sure. Yeah. I'm really curious about that. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for our uh, show for today. If you want to listen to the show again or check out our growing archive of old shows, please check out our website at godandcomics.com. God and Comics is subscribable through iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, please take the time to give us a rating or a review or both. It will only take a few seconds of your time, and it absolutely helps other people to find the show. Our theme music, which you're hopefully banging your head to right now, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who has gallons of Crystal Pepsi, which he's stockpiled and uses exclusively for bathing. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And we'll see ya.